Praise the Lord, everybody. God, I love you, Jesus. I thank you for meeting us here right now, God. I thank you that your love has just covered this congregation, God, that your presence has came to let us know that you are with us today, Lord Jesus. First, I want to say thank you to the Maxwell, um, brother and sister Maxwell, to the church family here for your um, hospitality, your warmth, your kindness. Um, I'm humbled. I'm honored. Secondly, I want to give honor to my pastor, David Hereford, who is truly a builder of people everywhere he goes. And I stand here to uh, hopefully make him proud. <laughs> and uh, my husband, who is uh, not able to be here, definitely sends his love and his prayers. And without a doubt, he is uh, just that reminder, uh, as my title will be today, and God remembered, um, he is the best part of me other than Jesus Christ. Um, I do have something that I want to share. Um, I, I apologize if it feels like I'm talking about myself, but Brother Maxwell did ask me to share my testimony, and so in doing so, you have to speak about yourself. I am want to be very clear. I in no way feel like I am a victim. I feel like that through only the grace of God and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, I am truly a victor, and it is the Holy Ghost that made the difference. And so... Um, I, uh, I've been in church um, pretty much all of my life. Are there any children here that do not have family in church? Do we have any kids here that are just the only people here without their family? What a blessing. You got a, got a lot of families here. Well, um, my, my story was a little, my parents were uh, filled with the Holy Ghost and they were backsliders and they were kind of in and out of church um, our whole lives. And so as early as, uh, my, my, my earliest remember, memories are um, as early as the age of two. I do want to read a couple of verses before I start. I want to read in Genesis 8 and 1. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. I want, you to, I want you to take note of, and God remembered. Um, I also want to read in um, Genesis 19:29, And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities with which Lot dwelt. And I want to read one more verse in Genesis 30:22, And that verse would be, hold on. And God remembered Rachel and hearkened to her and opened her womb. There are just some things that God remembers. When we are, when we are facing those things, it does not feel like God remembers. And sometimes it's a long time before we realize that God remembered. So at the age of two, I was put in foster care, my brother and I, my older brother. And I apologize if I'm a little emotional. I'm just so grateful when I just look at my life and where God carried me. And so um, we were in this foster home, and there's this just huge, beautiful table. And um, I remember us carrying things. I was almost three, and I remember us carrying things from the kitchen to this big, beautiful table filled with, you know, just Italian Parmesan. I can remember that smell because I carried the bowl of Parmesan. And just all the smell that was going through the house and being married to an Italian now, it, you know, like there's some stuff that goes into that Italian meal. And so um, 
my brother and I were carrying stuff in and I remember thinking I was so excited so we just kind of stood there waiting to see where we would sit and we were told that we would not sit at that table we were brought into a little breezeway and there was a table there and I sat there with my brother and I just remember just getting really emotional I, we were away from our parents and it was just him and I and my eyes filled with tears and I look at him and he reaches his hand across and you could just see that day he had to become the grown man the protector and he touched my hand he's like it's gonna be okay sissy it's gonna be okay and as we went through on our life um, you know it wasn't long after that my grandparents uh, got us back out of foster care and we were sleeping in the church at night uh, there was a broken window that my father would slip through with my brother and I and we would sleep in the church at night and the church was a very scary church I remember when we went to the bathroom we would get to the door and I would run as fast as I could because there were cobwebs and broken windows everywhere but at four years old I sat on the front row and for the first time in my life I heard that someone loved me and I remember that day like it was yesterday I remember the preacher saying God loves you I was four he filled me with the Holy Ghost that night I spoke in tongues for over an hour and I was baptized in the Tennessee River I did not know then but God filled me because he knew the wounding that I would experience but he would not let me be scarred because he had a message that he wanted me to share and so as I got a little older, um, we lived in Ohio. We kind of lived all over. We lived in like 25 homes before we were 11 years of age. We would be dropped off in the middle of the night with complete strangers. We would be left at the skating rink to be picked up by a state trooper at 2 a.m. on the interstate. Um, we never could understand you know, where we would end up, where we would go. And uh, we would go from church to church and we would beg food, my brother and I. There would be a lock on our refrigerator as a child there would be no food in our home at the age of four almost five I was traded to a neighbor for my mother's drug use at five years old I was put on the witness stand in the state of Alabama to to tell what happened at five I had a mental breakdown I was taken from the room they took me to a side room they recorded my testimony and um, at that point I was told if you ever tell anybody, if it's the last thing I do, I will hunt you down and I will kill you. This would be a weapon that my mother would use over my life for many years if I did not do what she would ask me to do. She would say, he's going to come get you. And so we were in Ohio. And when I was about 11 years old, my, um, my mother called me in there and she struggled with addiction, struggled with extreme brokenness. And it wasn't until later in my life that I understood broken people hurt people. And I didn't know, I didn't have the wisdom to see her story, because your story starts at home, but if you don't have a home, you feel like you don't have a story. And so um, when I was 11, she called me in there and just said some horrible, horrible things to me, um, and um, you know, choked me, sat on top of me till I passed out. I woke up, and I don't, I don't know how she wasn't on me. I don't know how I was alive still. And that night, she overdosed on pills, and um, I laid in my bed at 11 years old, and I heard her calling for me, and I remember thinking for the first time in my entire life, I hate you. And the fear that came over my heart because I had such a God awareness, like I instantly thought, oh my word, I'm, go I'm going straight to hell. And I had that decision to make, do I go help her, or do I just let this end? Because we were kids. We were left for weeks at alone. By this time, there were other siblings that had entered our lives and had been given away. And um, I was the only daughter she kept of all of her daughters. There were seven children. 
and, the, and ended up the three of us, the latter three, ended up together. And so that day, I, uh, I, went, to the, I went to her. She, at that point, she couldn't feel her legs, couldn't feel her arms, and I ran down the road, and I got her help. And we, they took her to a facility, and we stayed in the apartment for two weeks. My brother, who was 12, myself, who was 11, and my baby brother, who was four. No one knew we were there. There was no phone call. Throughout our whole childhood, no one ever stopped to say, how are you? What just happened? We found dead bodies in the neighbor's house next door. We were taken out on the mountain where an entire house was sprayed with blood, every single wall. We would make moonshine runs. Um, there were times that I would find my mother bathing my baby brother and holding him under the water when he would cry. And this would go on until I was 11, almost 12, and God brought me back to my dad who had found his way back to the Lord. And at that point, we, we moved in with our dad, and it was my, my, my older brother, myself, and my baby brother, who was not my father's, and did not know that he was not my father's. And my dad took us, and we lived for a little while in a little trailer, but then times were so hard, we moved into a 24-foot fifth wheel, the four of us. And we lived in a fifth wheel with no, no way to wash our clothes, no hot water, and we lived in that for four years. And we were the kids that went to school and had no lunch. We were the kids that went to school with dirty clothes if, if, it was, if I was too tired to wash them out by hand and hang them up. And I remember a couple of times hanging my baby brother's shirt up over the gas stove and burning it and just having a complete meltdown of how were we going to. You know, we were the kids that went to school and we stunk. Now, mind you, we were, at this point, we went to church. And... Um, I, for whatever reason, I never just never had that victim mentality. I never felt like, <laughs> I felt like, I don't know, I always felt like I just had something special. I really did. And so, and when I was 12, I won 35 of my classmates to the Lord, and they received the Holy Ghost in a brush harbor. And um, when I went on to be 13 and 14, um, we were doing a walkathon for um, some fundraiser at church, and I would walk this track because I wanted to win. The winner got like a huge amount of money and as I would walk I would look down over the hill and there was a nursing home and there were elderly people that would look at me and I just said to my dad one day I said can you just take me down there and let me talk to them and so he drove me down and I went in. I really really I'm not an extrovert unless it's something that I'm passionate about right. I'm not the person that would ever go in a crowd of a room. We always felt less than. We felt like we never measured up. We were definitely poor. We were always made fun of. But then there was just this one streak in me that I just, I loved people. And so I went in and I said, I, I, don't, I don't know what I can do, but could you let me take my Bible? And can I like see if there's anybody that would let me come in their room and read them the Bible? And so I spent the next couple of years, three days a week, and I would go from room to room in that nursing home. And I would share Jesus and I would read the Bible to those elderly people, some of them that had not had visitors or family in years and years and years. And um, one of them, uh, her name was Miss Jordan. She was a missionary and she had had a stroke and the left side of her body was paralyzed. And I'll never forget laying hands on her and watching God unfold that arm of hers. And, um, you know, and it was um, throughout the years, like we actually would get some of them, you know, one of them, poor Mr. Faircloth, he was a young man, had spinal bifida, never left the home, had never left the home. We loaded him in that church van and we took him to the house of God and um, just always found um, a place to serve. So then at 17, I um, marry and I marry somebody that is a new convert and he was 11 years older than me. We came back from our honeymoon. He was diagnosed with a terrible disease and uh, 
um, you know, being surrounded with my mother and father and their addiction and their struggles. It wasn't long after that, after I married and left home, my dad backslid and ended up, my baby brother ended up moving in with me. And so that journey started a whole nother journey of just extreme sickness. My husband had, um, in his life, he had brain surgery, open heart surgery, had both his kidneys removed. He had a feeding tubes, he had a transplant. When I tell you he lived sicker than any person I had ever seen in my life, he was 68 pounds when he passed. My children were born with the disease that he had. And you say all through this, it's like, where is God? Like, what did I do to deserve this, right? And it's like, you know, you, you, you feel like you've paid your penance when you're a kid. You've done been through all this, and then you find that person that you love with all of your heart. And for the first time, you have what you think is, is love. And to the best of his ability, it was. But God was leading me on a journey that I didn't even know and I couldn't even see. But in the midst of it, it felt like he had forgotten me. It felt like my story didn't matter. I came to church with all the other kids, and nobody ever once said, what is your story? Like, how do you feel? How, how, how is life treating you? There were so many things I never, we could never tell our dad that we sat at school every day and nobody would even offer us a sandwich. We went to a Christian school. Like, how does that happen, right? And there were just things, some things we just knew was just too much. My dad was doing the best that he could. And so um, my daughter was born with a rare disease called hypogammaglobulinemia, and she didn't make white blood cells. And she also had polycystic kidney disease and horseshoe kidney disease. And she lived the first six years of her, her life in the hospital every birthday, every holiday. She had transfusions every three weeks. And we went to a revival when she was six, and Brother Jonathan Aviar prayed for her. She said that night she tugged at my skirt, and she said, Jesus is going to heal me. And um, she went up, and she got prayer. She had a port. And it's like a big deal when you get gamma every, you know, for six years. They're not just going to quit giving you gamma. Um, it's no cure for that disease. And so that night, um, she said, Jesus healed my, my, my immune system, Mama. And um, I went to the doctor, and I said, my daughter's been healed. And he's like, mm, no, we're not. We're, and I said, he's like a lot of money. It's like thousands of dollars to redo the subclasses on your blood levels. And I said, I want them redone. It's been six years. And so he redone them, and they came back normal. Came back normal. He said, I'm not taking the port out for a year. I said, I'm not doing it. I'm not taking it out for a year. Uh, and he said, because she's going to have recurrent infections. She would get severe infections around her brain. She would live in a wet tent for months. And so I had spent literally most of my life, almost 22 years. Um, my, my younger son has you know, kidney disease, liver disease, pancreatic disease, esophageal disease. And so it just felt like everywhere I went, but I would be in the hospital. And I just actually received a phone call last week of somebody that I had witnessed to 13 years ago. I stepped off the elevator at Florida Hospital South and I said, God, this has been my whole life. Will I ever have a normal life? I'm like, you have to show me your purpose in this. And I go upstairs to the room, and there's a couple up there that are young, and they're having a transplant. And um, I tell them about Jesus. I pray with them, and I, tried, I connected them to a church. My sister-in-law called me um, last week, and she said I was in Miami and crossed the, crossed the church 13 years ago was John, still serving God, still full of the Holy Ghost. And so I can just, I know throughout that journey there were so many people that I was able to win to the Lord, that I was able to, to share Jesus with. Um, it, you know, I didn't fit the normal mold when people were going on vacation. There was never a vacation. When people were, I'd get together with women my age, I couldn't relate with them because I didn't live that life. I didn't have that, um, 
you know, I was so desperate for wholeness, and I feel like the Holy Ghost, like I would come home at 12 years old and listen to Focus on the Family because I did not want to relive my childhood, right? And so living in the home with a husband that was away from God and um, backslid, it gave me such a different love and compassion where a lot of times people would perceive a backslider as just somebody chasing their own will and their own passion and their own wants for just because they just didn't want to live for God. I lived with that backslider that wept every single night and said, I can't find my way back. He had brokenness and he didn't realize that an unresolved trauma, unresolved brokenness does not disappear just because you stand at the altar. Chris said it so well this morning. You have to leave it all at the altar and you have to go resolve it. And I will tell you the power of resolving that here in a minute. So, I, you know, I, I lived with that, and I lived with my father, who was a backslider, but deeply loved God. It wasn't that classic, we're out here, you know, living it up, sowing our wild oats. They were broken. They were broken, and, and somehow we were not able to, to tell them, it is okay to be broken. We were not able to say to them, it's okay to ask God, why did you take my dad at a young age, why did you give me this horrible disease? Why did you take my daughter? That was my late husband. It was okay to say those things. It was necessary to say, God, I have a wound, and I need you to come to that specific wound, and I need you to heal it. We just assume one blanket statement is going to cover all of that, and that is not the case. He said, in each individual case, you come to the altar, you leave yourself, your gift there, and you go and you make it right. Sometimes it's with ourselves. Sometimes we have to do, uh, we have to say, God, I failed you here. I need you to come to, I can't forgive myself. God, I feel like, so, so when I, as, as, I, as time went on, my, my pastor, my husband passed. And when I tell you, um, I was going to try to give some pictures, but I didn't want to I didn't want it to trigger anybody that had, may have already experienced that, but he was 68 pounds. Um, he was 68 pounds for about a year. He was like 86 pounds for a couple years. He shared clothes with my 12-year-old son. And at the same time, they both were on a feeding tube in their gut, and they were on TPN lipids in their chest. And as we're going through all of this, um, when he passed, I, I didn't even realize the magnitude of how, how hard it was to show up at church. Because even though he was back, said when he would show up at church, he would just, tears would pour his face. And I just remember asking him one time, and he's like, I know I'm worthless, but he's not. And it wasn't until after he passed, um, one of the last services that I was with him in, he, um, he was on seven liters of oxygen, and it was two weeks before he passed. And when I got up to get him dressed that morning, he was so emaciated. Later that day, I had to go to the hospital. My heart just really could not take what I had seen. And so I'm in the back, and I hear somebody at the top of their lungs saying, I love you, Jesus. And I see him making a lap. I see him making He was backslid. And if you have a husband that is backslid, and you think to yourself, I can't do this, and you're constantly looking for a way out, I promise you, when you hold their hand, and God takes their other hand, you will know that every, every trial that you faced was worth it. Every trial, when you see that wayward, when you talk about the love of God, how rich, how marvelous, that it would find somebody that for 20 years would say, don't let me be lost. 
help me find my way. I didn't know then the power of having to really take time to heal the brokenness. But God didn't let him die lost, right? And so, so then I fast forward, and here I am. You know, we done had a business and lived in a beautiful home and sold everything to survive because this wasn't one year. This wasn't two years. This wasn't three years. This was year after year after year. I just remember thinking, I, 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 don't, I don't even know how I can do this. I look back and I say to my, I, I know unequivocally it was the hand of God. And um, when he was in hospice, I remember um, Elder Pixler. He has went on to be with the Lord. He was probably one of the most influential men of God in, in my life at that time. He called me and he said, I had just had an argument with my daughter. And she said to me, how? If God loves us, how can he let us go through that? She was angry. She was screaming. She was 15. She had never known anything but hardship and sorrow. Brother Pixar called me that day, and he said, I want to share something with you. He said, it doesn't matter how hard it is for you to watch someone suffer until they say, God, I can't do it anymore. He's not going to take him because his will trumps your selfishness to be free of seeing him hurt. And it was very true because before he passed, he called me in there on a Saturday night and he said, I need you to, he said he's seen something. And I said, he said it was some, a man wrapped in blue. And I said, you know, was that the angel of the Lord? And he, he said, he just felt peace. And he, he said, I need you to pray. I'm ready to go home. And it was the hardest prayer I ever prayed in my life. And uh, God took him home two days later. And, and, and so then we, we go into just trying to navigate my life and there's like I could spend a day telling many details in between um, just feeling invisible feeling like um, there were times and I'm, I'm being very transparent here that I did not feel like my church family was there for me um, I know now why sometimes we think that it is the situation that we're at but I realized that God was gifting me with a unique um, love and a passion for people who are invisible or forgotten that sit in the house of God year after year after year. People that feel like they have made the wrong choice so that their God dreams will never take place, that their ship has sailed or that their dreams have expired and that what they felt like was their calling as a child would never be attainable because how could it, how could it, how could it, it's too late, right? And and I've, I learned that God does remember and so then I went on my husband passed um, my daughter walked away from the Lord I seen her on a ventilator five times with a drug addiction um, my children you know they they struggled with the disease that they have in their body and how those things can happen and uh, that's the hardest thing in the world I tell you it's one thing to bury somebody that you know went to the other side it's a whole nother thing when you watch your children there's just no sorrow like that and so here I am just really still just really being faithful to God. And um, I am going to enroll in school to go to the hospital to minister to uh, people in the hospital to be a chaplain at one of the largest hospitals in Florida. And uh, I'm so excited. And I wake up and I have this horrible pain in my stomach. And um, I go to the emergency room and they run me for emergency surgery. And I'm told I have sarcoma cancer. This is five years ago in my guts, and it's the rarest of all cancers. Only 15% of people have had it in their abdomen, and you don't ever ring a bell and say you're free from it. And so I'm like, really, God? <laughs> really? Like, like, when does this ever end, you know? 
And I just remember saying, um, God, if I have three days, three weeks, three months, I will spend every moment of my life. And I told God when I went through everything that I had went through, when I get through this, I will never cross paths with somebody that I don't remind them that you are going to be okay. As I stood with three small children in Barnes and Noble the day my husband was having both his kidneys removed before he got a transplant, and I, I was so overwhelmed. I'm in my 20s, and I, I just remember being so lost. I look across, and there was a book in Barnes and Noble in downtown Orlando, and it said, you are going to be okay. And I picked that book up, and I literally am sobbing in Barnes and Noble. How can that be in the house of God? How can that be in the house of God? That you are surrounded by brothers and sisters, but, but there's no one to say you are going to be okay. Because we have created a culture that it's not okay to say I'm not okay. But it is. Because it's in our weakness that he becomes strong. It's in our weakness that he becomes strong. And so as I went through that, um, God just continued to cross my path with different um, people in my life and I was given an opportunity. I made really good money, but when you work for yourself, there's no benefits. So um, at that point, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm renting a room from somebody and I'm out of a job and I have sarcoma <laughs> and I have no insurance. And I literally go to the hospital in um, Orlando and she said, honey, I don't know what to tell you. If you don't have insurance, nobody's going to see you. So here I am, I had just lost my husband, I had small children, like not little kids, but like teenagers. And I've just been told I have sarcoma and the doctor's like, sorry, nothing we can do for you. And I remember leaving Orlando Hospital, getting on I-4. If you've been in Orlando, you know that I-4 is just a horrible, horrible drive. And I pull off the side of the road and I'm just having an anxiety attack. And I'm like, really God, is this really how I'm gonna die? Like with no insurance after taking care of my husband my whole life and my children. And, um, through this, God was just leading me on a journey. And, um, and so just, God just worked a miracle, ended up, the Moffat Center took me in and they um, treated me and I was just like, ha ha, like God has the final say. It's not, it's not in a man's, you know, doing. So at that point, I went to Noblesville, Indiana. I said, I was given the opportunity to move to Indiana to get my life recovery degree. And so I moved in house with 10 heroin addicted women and I walked them through recovery. Little did I know God was walking me through recovery. Um, I had never spoke of the trauma that I had went through as a child. I had never said the, um, right before that happened, I was in a Westgate and I had a room and God said, I want you to write. And uh, I had three days, I said, God, I'm gonna fast and pray. I really wanna hear from you. I need to hear from you for my life. Like what, what is, is it past me by? Is everything that I ever dreamed of? Um, passed me by and God said I want you to write and I he said I want you to write the first five years of your life and it took 12 pages to write the, write the first five years of my life and when I got to the section where my mother traded me and the actual details of what happened that is something that had never even when I had a mental breakdown even when I went to counseling at five years old I was aware enough that that was too shameful to speak of I could not bring that out of my consciousness my awareness and so that day as I wrote it, I literally threw the paper down and I'm like screaming at God. I'm sobbing. I'm like, I can't do this. This is too painful. And I came back and I wrote and it made me so sick. I got up and I went and I, I, I threw up. And I realized that the unresolved issues do not go away. 
And, 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 and there's a saying that says, if you don't heal from what cut you, you bleed on those that did not. And as a church, if we can know that there are wounds, we have to take Jesus to. We can't just pretend like they didn't happen. It could be a wound from a mate. It could be unmet expectations. It can be disappointments that you thought your life was going to be this way, and it turned out another way. Um, and, and, and so at one point, it can also be an entitlement that you think because you live for God, he owes you. I, I remember thinking, okay, God, I've been through recovery. I've forgiven. I've dealt with. I've processed. So then I pick up the book, um, um, in, um, in Enemies of the Heart. Enemies of the Heart. And so as I'm reading it, um, here I am, a widow. I've been married 22 years. And I knew people in church had been married multiple times. <laughs> and I felt like, you know, really, God? Like, I'm out here. I was homeless. I was homeless five years ago. Homeless. Put myself through college. Day, five days a week, three days a night, worked and went to church. Won five of my classmates to the Lord. They received the Holy Ghost and were baptized in Jesus' name. And um, I had this, God told me, he's like, you're entitled. That's your problem. You think I owe you because you live for me. I was like, what? But it was true. I felt like I had done my whole life I had lived for God and I had won people to the Lord so I felt like he owed me something and I had to repent God didn't owe me anything he had already carried me through stuff that I should have never lived through stuff that I should have never made it through right and here I am pouting and puffing a puffing my lips out and like well how, how in the world can you not take care of me and, and I had to repent. I said, oh, my God, forgive me. I was angry at God. I was angry that my life didn't turn out the way it should have, the way that the reaping did not match what I sowed. I was angry that he, at that point, took what I thought was the only person that had ever loved me in the world. It was the only stability I'd ever had, even though it was unhealthy. It wasn't unhealthy because he was uh, not willing. We just didn't know how to heal. And that's sad to sit in church and not realize that you do have to heal from trauma and disappointments and brokenness. You really do have to deal with that. It doesn't just go away. If pastors could get in there and carve that out of your life, don't you think they would? They spend hours in bed at night weeping and praying over homework that you really have to do yourself. We can't do that. And so um, I, I went through, uh, went to Indiana. I um, spent a year there, got my life recovery degree. It was life-changing to see these women. They come in, um, lives wrecked, some of them for years and years, hadn't seen their children, um, hadn't had a normal conversation with their parents, and just to be able to live with them and, and, and go that whole journey and pray several of them through the Holy Ghost. So then my job ended there, and I get back to Orlando, and I'm homeless, and I am and, and I'd had in Indiana, I'd had a prophecy by Brother George Hurt prophesied over me. And he said, uh, I, he did, I was a visitor at a church of 250, and he had prophesied over me. And he had said, from this day on, God's going to give you an unexplainable joy. And just went into just great detail about my life. And it was recorded, which was pretty cool because I still have it. And, um, and I, I just, I was just pursuing God. I was pursuing God. But in the back of my mind, I felt like my dreams had expired and that God had forgotten me. And that my best was behind me. I believe the lie that my past was, my future was tied to my past. So your future is not tied to the person that left you. 
Your, your future is not tied to the person that hurt you or abandoned you. Your future is tied to Jesus Christ. Your future is in his hands. And so I was walking through my neighborhood. My car broke down. I had to walk like two miles off of 192 in Kissimmee to where I lived. I didn't have anybody to call. And I just remember I was pouring tears. It was in the middle of the night. And I said, God, will it always be this hard? Will it always be this hard? And I had just had Brother Aviar had come and spoken over my life. And he said, you know, when God does what he's going to do, there will be no doubt that it was the hand of God only that could do that. And, I, you know, sometimes we forget when he gives us the word. We, we just take that for granted. And so that day I was walking, and I just was pouring tears. I'm like, God, I'm not, I'm not a victim here. I don't feel like I'm a victim. Like, I, I, I realized I was crossed with you for the wrong reasons. You don't owe me because you've carried me. Statistically says I shouldn't be here, A. Statistically says I should have been on drugs. You know, the statistics were stacked against me, but God, he, he kept me when he filled me. And, 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 um, and so I, uh, I um, was homeless, and I put myself through school and just kind of couch surfed. And so um, my daughter had got back in and then ended up backsliding around that time. And that was, it was, it was deep. She went into deep, deep, you know, away from the Lord. And it was so, so heavy. And I just sat in the car with her and asked her why. And her lip trembled. And she said, Mama, you've lived for God your whole life. And look, you don't even have a house. Boy, Satan knows how to, like, stab you where it hurts. And I was like, I couldn't deny that. But I looked at her that day, and I said, that's where you're wrong. I can't explain it. I don't know what's happening. But I feel like something huge is fixing to happen in my life. And you're going to dip right before you get to see it. And um, it was just that unexplainable, the hand of God. And so... Um, I uh, just graduated through school, and I, I did a lot of ministry, a lot of singles ministry, a lot of, um, I, I'm, I'm not a, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't fault anybody that does ministry on Facebook, but I don't ever want to use um, the people that God places in my life to validate myself, especially on a public platform, so it's not something I really post a lot about, and so I was working with a lady, and um, I asked her, I was kind of joking, I'm like, you go to a huge church and there's no singles? I had already decided I was not dating anybody off the internet, been there, done that kind of stuff, right? And, um, you know, and I really felt like I had somebody tell me, the person that I ran a room from, he's like, no, there, there's no good Christian man going to marry you. Your kids are all backslid and they're crazy. And I, I, I went to my room that night and I wept and I said, I, I really did. I can't even tell you how hard I wept. I'm like, God, is that true? Like, will I never see the blessings of your life because of things that were out of my control? And God is so beautiful. He remembered. He remembered. If you don't hear anything else, I say every tear you have cried, every disappointment you have faced, everything that did not go your way, everything that you feel like nobody even acknowledged, the unacknowledged wounds that some may have experienced in church from people that we love, that we're not acknowledged. It's not that you oftentimes want somebody to be punished, but you at least want somebody to say, I know they hurt you. But your story doesn't get heard. But see, God does remember. He remembers everything that has come your way, everything that happened, every negative word spoke over your life. He knows. Yeah. Nothing takes him by surprise. And so um, it, it was, uh, you know, 
I, I, I asked her that question, and she's like, well, actually, we do. We have, you know, a, a widower in our church, and I'd already told God. I was, like, adamant I'm not moving. I don't want anybody shorter than me. I don't want anybody older than me. <laughs> and I don't want anybody from Louisiana. And that was... I mean, that was, a, that was a pact that I lived by. My late husband, God rest him, he was shorter than me, and he was older than me, and I was a widow, and I did not want to ever go through that again. And then I had went to a crazy church in Louisiana. I had decided they were some crazy folks, and I was not going to Louisiana. And so I'm, uh, you know, I met this, you know, because I, I, I do recovery, and I help with emotional trauma and healing. It's something I'm very passionate about because I've seen the power of, of somebody that was away from God very close to me and I just called him and I shared um, those the next um, from 5 to 12 and this grown man who had never his wife had never seen cry she pulls home that day and she's sobbing and two weeks later he gave his life to God so I realized the power in unpacking uh, brokenness and woundedness that you have hid away because you're tough because nobody acknowledged it or you should be over it it happened so long ago and so um and so i was like "Mm -mm, he's older than me he's shorter than me he's from louisiana but he had been through some stuff and he was just a devout devout man of god and um so he had actually said can i come see you and he was packed and he was four hours from coming and i called him and said nope mm -mm, just don't don't nope nope and he'd already had a trip planned because god is so intentional he had a trip planned for a year so he would be there the following month and i'm like well when you're already here i'll meet you you know and i met him on december 9th i don't recommend this for anybody <laughs> but i met him on december 9th i married him on february the 9th and when i t when i tell you god remembered that phrase goes through my mind every day every day i've never known love i've never never known the love of god because god says that your mate should love you the way he loves you and i never could comprehend that because i'd really never been loved and so, um, you know, and, th and so then as I, I'm, I'm here in Louisiana and I had to make some huge sacrifices. When you have kids that have a disease that they could die from any day at any time, you don't know where that disease will take them. It's very hard to follow the voice of God and leave them in his hands. And so, um, but I had dreams of, of, I don't want a pulpit. I just want to see people that are broken know that God cares he cares like do not believe that where you are now is where you will be forever do not believe that your brokenness your disappointment your parents divorcing separating leaving you being torn back and forth between them holidays are always ruined don't believe he doesn't care about that he cares he cares about that little 10 year old that lays in bed and tears pour their face and say god i love you I don't even know how to pray. I don't even know what to say, but I love you. I realized for me that home was truly in the presence of God. That's why wherever I went, I would get in the phone book and I would look for a church because home to me was being in God's presence. And so, you know, and, and at that point I thought, you know, you know, I come from old school where women don't preach and women don't get in the pulpit. But I knew God had put a burden on my heart for backsliders, for people who felt forgotten, for people who felt overlooked, for people who really in the church did not feel it's okay to say I've been hurt, I'm broken. Somebody really hurt me. And, and I, I, I said, God, if you'll give me that opportunity, I want to remind somebody 
that, that nothing that you have been through was for nothing. Because where you're wounded is where God wants to gift you. Where you're wounded is where he wants somebody else to say, man, God, I look back now and I realize when I get that call at midnight that says I want to take my life. I remember that mother that had no hope. I realize now when I see somebody in this hospital sick and struggling, I can have the prayer of faith. I can go the extra mile and think about their children and what their mate's going through. I realize that not one person I pass in my life, my mind is not constantly saying, God, how can I assure them? How can I be your hands and your feet to let them know they are going to be okay, that you have not forgotten them? Because where your wounding is, if you will say, God, I need to take you to this day. I need you to come to the eight-year-old little girl that said, from now on, I'm going to be tough girl. Nobody's going to hurt me. Or that little boy that says, I watched my dad drive by me, and I don't even matter to him. He doesn't know I exist. He doesn't care about me. I want you to know, if you take Jesus to that wound, and you say, God, I tell him what happened that day. Remind him. He knows, but he needs you to tell him. Because if you, to heal, you had to feel. And that's what happens as children of God. We just pack it in, pack it in, pack it in. And we don't realize as we pack it in more of our wound and our trauma that we pack him out. And then he doesn't have that freedom to move through us. We're not safe anymore. We're reactive. We lash out. We feel defensive. All the things that, that are opposite of what we need to be. And we don't realize it's simply because we have brokenness that we have not taken Jesus to. We have not said, God, I am hurt. I am broken. Because in our mind, vulnerability for me was weakness. And I had done fought way too hard in my life to be strong, right? But that's not what God wanted. God didn't need me to be strong. He didn't need me to fight my battles. He didn't need me to have all these protective personalities to keep me safe. He needed me to depend on him. He needed me to trust that he had my best interest at heart. And so I don't know if any of this is relevant to anything that any of you are facing, but if you don't hear anything I have said, and God remembered. And when you give him your sorrow, your trauma, your brokenness, everything that you've ever dreamed of, the wounding that you have will be your area of giftedness. That is powerful. You're not going to hear from somebody that doesn't even know what you feel like. I went to a ladies' conference, and it was wonderful, but I'll be honest with you. I had a son that called me and was going to take his life. I don't know if you know what that feels like, but knowing that the potential was there was huge. And, and, and that the lovely lady that was speaking, she's like, I have to be transparent. I got so mad, I threw a two-liter across the room. And I'm like, that's the best you got? I'm going home, and I got a mess. I need to know that you're there, right? Because we need to, we need to be real. We all have struggles. Our, our picture's not all beautiful. Like, you look at us dressed up. I've failed God. I've made mistakes. But he has carried me. He doesn't hold those mistakes. He doesn't. He says he bottles your tears in heaven. And in his time, he pours them on you right? How many tears have you cried? 
Is it time to have those poured back on you and those prayers answered? Is it time to let go of of the disappointments of how your life has turned out and it shouldn't have? Is it time for you to let go of, God, I feel like you owe me? I'm sorry, forgive me. Is it time to say, that person will never say they're sorry. I will never have a mother as much as I want to. My whole life all I ever wanted was family. I don't have a mother. My dad is very disconnected and struggles off and on at times. And so I can call him and he won't answer my phone for six months or a year. I can text him high points in my life. But if I can see wholeness happen in somebody else's life and God restore families and give hope because the Holy Ghost can do in a moment's time what we could never do in a lifetime. It can. It is, it is truly the work of God in you. And, and, and so if I could leave anything with you, I really want to ask you, what is it that has broke you? What is it that you've held away from God that is too painful to say, God, this happened? What is it that you're carrying that doesn't feel fair? What is it that somebody has done that they have never said I'm sorry for or they may never say I'm sorry for? Are you sick and tired of carrying that round long enough that today you would come and say, God, I'm giving all of this to you. I am going to pursue healing in my heart so that you can use me to heal the person that you're going to bring in my life this week so that you can truly use me so that there will never be another person sitting in the congregation that has a thought of suicide or feels less than if they're sitting next to me. I'm going to feel their pain because I've given my pain to you. I'm not carrying mine so I can feel theirs. And that's where you will find your gifting will be in your area of where you were broken. Your story, every piece of it, will be redeeming grace in somebody else's life. It wasn't for nothing. It doesn't feel fair, but I promise you, there's no greater fulfillment than to know it wasn't in vain that God had a purpose for it. So I'm just going to pray. I don't know how you end your service here. I don't know if anybody wants to come forward and pray. Um, If you would like us to pray with you and just say, God, I want to give you, um, I want to give you this. I I don't want to carry it with me when I leave. Is there anybody that would, um, I don't know if they want to play some music, that would come forward and say, God, I've carried this long enough. God, I can't do this anymore. Or God, I just want to be your hands and feet. Maybe you're not carrying anything. Maybe nothing's broken in your life. But maybe you want to be a willing vessel that says, you don't have to be broken for God to use, but God used me to help somebody else. Is there anybody that would come forward and want to pray with us today? Jesus, God, I love you, Lord. I ask your presence to come in here. You've already been here, God. You're moving, Lord Jesus. You're drawing hearts. God, you want to heal and restore, Jesus. God, I give you glory, Lord, as your presence to come meet us today, Jesus.